Good morning. It is a delight for me to open God's Word with you. Think with me for a minute. What would you say is your most precious possession? You can think about it. What is your most valuable possession in this life? What would you say is more valuable to you than anything else in this world? My wife and I had the experience a number of months ago of having the fire alarm go off in our apartment complex, not knowing whether it was an actual fire or a false alarm, we rushed to grab our most precious possessions before heading to the stairwell to go down the eight flights of stairs from our eighth floor apartment. For us, it was our children. And as we were living overseas, our lockbox containing our passports. Moments like these are clarifying, aren't they? They're clarifying for us, for helping us to see the difference between what is most important and what isn't, between what is valuable and what is ultimately replaceable. But while we often don't have such clarifying moments in our lives, the reality is that all of us are living by a set of values in our day-to-day lives. All of us are living by a set of values. We are making decisions moment by moment that are guided by priorities and Hidden in our daily priorities are the values that rule our lives. My dad likes to say that you can tell a person's values by two things. Their calendar and their bank statement. Their calendar and their bank statement. In other words, your calendar and your bank statement, the things on which you spend your time and your money, tell others what you value most. Our passage from the Bible this morning holds out for us the one thing in this world worth pursuing that has ultimate value. The one thing in this world worth pursuing that has ultimate value. We've begun a series in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. A quick note on the context of the book. Proverbs, as we have seen, is one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament. The book is, in large part, written by King Solomon. As you can see there in verse 1 of chapter 1, the son of David and king in Israel. And in the first couple of weeks, we've seen that Proverbs is God's education course in true wisdom. God's education course in true wisdom. And we saw in the introduction to the book, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, that if we are to gain true wisdom, we as the student must have a humble heart and ears open to hear wisdom. And in our second section, the, the second half of chapter 1, we saw that the student must learn to tell the difference between the voice of wisdom and the voice of foolishness and be able to detect those voices and the different voices we hear in this world. But as we see in this next section of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2, if we want to gain wisdom, we must have eyes to see wisdom's value. We must have eyes to see wisdom's value, a value so precious it is worth leaving everything else behind in the pursuit of it. This morning we'll be looking at Proverbs chapter 2. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. And our main point this morning, if you're taking notes, is this, our main point. Value the wisdom that leads to God, for God is the ultimate reward. Value the wisdom that leads to God. 
for God is the ultimate reward. And we'll have three sections from the text this morning. Section 1, verses 1 to 4, conditions apply. Section 1, verses 1 to 4, conditions apply. Section 2, verses 5 to 8, knowing God. Section 2, verses 5 to 8, knowing God. And section 3, verses 9 to 22, finding safety. 9, verses 9 to 22, finding safety. I pray that this morning we would have hearts that burn to know wisdom because we desire nothing more than to know God and delight in Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us in Your Word and that You have revealed true wisdom for us. We pray that we would have hearts that tremble at Your Word and desires that are excited to know You and to be known by You. We pray that You would be at work in our hearts by Your Spirit to see sin in our lives that need to be confessed and repented of. But more than anything, that we would see Christ as beautiful and pursue Him as the one thing worth pursuing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin by reading our passage. You can follow along with me as I read Proverbs chapter 2. We'll read the whole chapter. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you Call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is God's word. Section number one, point number one. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Conditions apply. 
conditions apply. You've, you've heard that, I'm sure, in advertisements or television commercials. You'll hear about something that sounds too good to be true, and then at the end you'll hear con some conditions apply. Often what happens is someone begins speaking very quickly, so quickly you can't hear what those conditions are because they want to cover them up because they want you to be excited about what it is that they're offering. This often happens in the world as good things are being offered or things that sound to be good are being offered, but often they want to cover up what those conditions are. Here at the beginning, as the, the father begins speaking to his son, a second section here, he puts the conditions right out front, bold and clear. He isn't seeking to hide them. He wants his son to know what the conditions are for finding true wisdom. And he isn't offering something too good to be true. He's offering something of ultimate value. But he's holding out for his son what it will require if he is going to receive this wisdom, if he is going to gain this good wisdom, this thing of ultimate value. We can see the conditions here listed there, beginning each of these phrases with the word if. Do you see it there? Look at verse 1. My son, if. Verse 3, yes, if. Verse 4, if. These words are highlighting what the conditions are. These are the things that are required. These are the prerequisites if we are to receive this wisdom of ultimate value. And do you see what the conditions are for receiving true wisdom? Look at verse 1. If you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you. See, the, the, the requirement here begins with having a heart that is ready to receive and to treasure the truth that we receive from God, the wisdom that is spoken. There must be a receptive heart and a heart that is willing to value the truth that comes from God as ultimately valuable, to treasure it up. Look at verse 2. It requires ears that are attentive to wisdom, that are tuned in to hear wisdom's voice and to receive it, but also in a heart that is inclined to such understanding. Look there at verse 3. Even more is required. A calling out, a raising of the voice for insight and for understanding. In chapter 1, we saw wisdom personified as that lady, woman wisdom, who was out in the marketplace competing with the voices of this world that are vying for our attention, offering things that would be delightful for us to have. And woman wisdom is calling out and crying out to the simple, to any that would hear her. Well, now we have the Father who is teaching God's word to his son, saying, well, you too must be calling out and crying out. You too must see wisdom is so valuable that you are in that marketplace crying out and seeking wisdom above all others, above everything else that is out there offered to you in this world. And then the last condition there in verse 4. Wisdom must be sought like silver and searched for as for hidden treasure. There is to be, if we are to receive wisdom, a condition of a diligent pursuit. It is required that we pursue wisdom diligently, not half-heartedly. We cannot have our interests divided, but wholeheartedly. There is to be a posture 
of leaning in and pursuing wisdom as if it is the one thing of value. You see here that wisdom is clear as something that is outside of us and not inside of us. We often hear in the world that if, if we're looking for wisdom, many people will say, look, look, look into your heart. Look inside, meditate. Look within and you'll find true wisdom. You see here that the writer of Proverbs is saying, no, wisdom is not something to be found inside, but outside. It doesn't come from within our hearts, but it comes from God. And it must be pursued by seeking to hear God's voice found in His Word. As we consider these conditions, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 13. Turn with me quickly to Matthew 13. Jesus is in a section of speaking of different parables as He's describing the kingdom of heaven to His hearers. And He uses two very quick and very short parables. And I wondered as I studied this week if Jesus did not have this passage in mind as He was speaking these parables. Look at Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This hidden treasure is this parable of the kingdom of heaven. Do we want to know God? Do we want to know Christ? Do we want to be a part of His kingdom? Do we want to be with God in Christ forever? We must pursue it as if it is the one thing of value, the only thing of real value. We must be willing even to sell all that we have and give everything else in this world up in order to have this one thing. He uses also the parable of the pearl of great value. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This wisdom you see is the one thing of real value in this world. But the wisdom of God that is to be found is not like the wisdom of the world. In fact, the wise person, the one who finds wisdom, may look absolutely foolish in the eyes of this world. And God has promised us that. Can you imagine going out into the streets and actually calling and crying out the way that this writer is telling us we must act in our pursuit of wisdom? It doesn't sound rational or reasonable or wise in the eyes of this world. There is a perception of wisdom in the eyes of this world that you would be very measured and very peaceful and not too extreme one way or the other. But the wisdom being talked about here, the one who's going to gain true wisdom is the one who isn't cautious and who isn't half-hearted or calm, but is absolutely devoted to knowing God and pursuing Him realizing that knowing God is the most important thing that a person can have in this world. So I wonder, Christian, as you're sitting here today, what is it that you value? What is it in this world that has a pull on your heart? What is it in your life that takes up your focus, your pursuits, and your energies? Pause for a moment like, like we did with that fire alarm. And consider to yourself, what is the one thing that has true value? And why am I pursuing 
anything else instead of that. Let me encourage you, Christian, to consider your last day on earth. Consider that day when you will stand before Christ and give an account for how you've spent your time, your days, even your resources and your money. If the things that you're pursuing in this life will not matter on that day, then do not pursue it today. We see here that wisdom is only found by those who value God's word, God's words, who treasure up his word, who have ears receptive to hear his word. So let me encourage you, Christian, how are you treasuring God's word today? Coming here on a a Sunday morning is a good first step. When you come on on a Sunday and gather with God's people, you get to hear God's word as it's read and you get to sing God's Word as we sing it in the the hymns and the songs that we sing. You get to hear God's Word as it's preached. You get to hear the truth as it's prayed back to God. And you even get to see God's Word as we see it in in the, the, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. But let me encourage you, Christian, to not stop there, but to continue to treasure God's Word both individually and corporately to take those moments in your day to sit quietly and open God's Word and listen to Him. To put appointments in your calendar where you will meet with other Christians, whether in a small group or in a a discipleship relationship, where you will sit down, open up God's Word and read it and treasure it and receive it into your hearts and to consider the truth of it and how you can be applying it to your everyday life. If we are to be valuing the wisdom that, that the writer of Proverbs is holding out as the thing of ultimate value, we must take time in our schedule to treasure this Word. Because if we don't plan to treasure it, our hearts are so wayward, we will end up treasuring something else. That's point number one. Conditions apply. Point number two, knowing God. We'll be looking at verses five to eight. So we saw in point one all of the ifs that are the conditions to actually gaining this wisdom. Well, now you see in verse five the beginning of the thens, the beginning of the result of such conditions being met. If you pursue wisdom, then, verse five, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. So we see here, if we meet these conditions, if we pursue wisdom wholeheartedly, if we value wisdom as the most important thing, do you see what the result is, what it leads to? Well, it leads ultimately to Knowing God. It leads to knowing God. Wisdom is not some optional add-on. Well, maybe if I get these other things in my life that I want, maybe I could maybe pursue some wisdom and add on some wisdom to my life. No, wisdom is the one thing because without wisdom, we will not, we cannot know God. But if we have wisdom, if we get it, if we pursue it wholeheartedly, do you see what the reward is? The reward there in verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find 
the knowledge of God. You will know God. The fear of the Lord is this theme that we saw in the the, the key verse of the whole book, chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is this foundation of all true wisdom. It is this knowledge of God that loves Him and is devoted to Him, but is in awe of Him. And because we see God as the most important person in the universe, we live all of our lives in light of who He is and in order to please Him. The person who pursues wisdom as of ultimate value will ultimately fear the Lord and know Him and enter into a relationship with Him. You see, this isn't something optional. This is the, the, the most important reward that anyone can have. Knowledge of our Creator God, a relationship with Him. And this wisdom that is pursued, we see in verse 6 and 7 and 8, is wisdom that is a gift from Him. While we must diligently pursue it, while we must be wholehearted in our devotion to finding out wisdom and to pursuing it, to reading it in God's Word and listening to Him, wisdom is ultimately a gift given from Him. It must come from Him and He must not only speak it as He has spoken it and preserved it, written in His Word, the Bible, He must communicate it by His Spirit to our hearts if we are to understand it and accept it and embrace it. We see in verse 6 and 7 that wisdom comes from His mouth, but that He has stores. He is literally storing up sound wisdom as an inheritance for those who will walk uprightly. And not only that, but He will providentially protect as a shield to those who walk in integrity. He will guard and protect His people and watch over their ways. You see, in coming to know God, we then are under God's sovereign rule and protection. It is in a relationship with God that then God embraces us as His children. We are then adopted into His family and He cares for us as His own. As we consider the things that are of ultimate value, there can be a a perception in this world that Christians need to have self-control and to downplay our desires. That what is ultimately needed is for us to not be so passionate or controlled by our desires, but to, to cut those off and to be calm and to be an aesthetic ascetic person who gets rid of all of our desires. That's closer to Buddhism than it is to Christianity. The problem isn't that our desires are too great. The problem is that we desire the wrong things. C.S. Lewis, in such a helpful quote in The Weight of Glory, talks about this reality that we get confused that the problem is with our desires. He says that it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. He uses an illustration that we are like an ignorant child who goes on living in a slum making mud pies on the streets because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says we are far too easily pleased. What does he mean by this? 
What he means is that what, what we need is not to remove our desires, but to have a desire for a relationship with God and to have a desire as strong as possible to know God and to pursue Him and to find in Him our ultimate reward. You see, this is the message of the Gospel. The Gospel message is a message that we have been created by a good and loving God, that He is the Creator who made us in His image to reflect something of what He is like and to enjoy a relationship with Him that would be absolutely fulfilling. But the Gospel tells us the bad news that we have sinned and rebelled against this good God. And the punishment for our sin is being rejected by God, being condemned by Him, and being punished eternally out of His good presence forever. But the Gospel message says that God in His love and mercy sent Jesus. God, the Son in the person of Jesus, who came to earth and lived the perfect life that we didn't live, and He died on the cross for sin in the place of sinners like us so that sinners like us could actually enter back into a relationship with God through Him, not because of the things that we have done, but because of what Jesus has done that we can find now this relationship we were originally created for at the beginning. We can find it with God in Christ as we are now brought into His family and brought to be with Him in a relationship forever. What the Gospel message says is the point of Jesus coming to earth is to help us have all of our real desires fulfilled in a relationship with God, to be reunited with our Creator and to fellowship with Him forever. You see here, the most important thing is wisdom because wisdom leads us into a relationship with God and it is a relationship with God that is the ultimate reward. It is the one thing that can truly satisfy all of our desires. So I wonder if you're here Christian, I I wonder what are the things that are taking up your heart's desires? What are the things that you are tempted to delight in and to see as ultimately desirable or ultimately fulfilling? I wonder if you have been going through life disappointed because everything that you've pursued hasn't given you that ultimate satisfaction that you're looking for. Do you know that you are looking for your desires to be fulfilled in all of the wrong places? Unless you find your desires fulfilled in this relationship with God that you were created for, you will never have your desires ultimately fulfilled. And even the good things in this life that God has given to us as good gifts, you won't even be able to enjoy those. Because you are turning those good gifts into something that is of ultimate value, which they aren't. So I wonder, if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're feeling right now that lack of joy, that lack of contentment, and that lack of satisfaction that this passage is talking about, let me offer to you the one thing that is ultimately satisfied, a relationship with God. It is available to you even today in Christ if you will repent of your sin and turn to Him. And you will find in Him a reward and a relationship unlike any other. And it is a reward and a joy that begins now but will continue for all eternity. The joy of the relationship that we can have with God through Christ will never end. 
it will go on getting greater and greater and better and better for all eternity. Do not look anywhere else to have your your desires fulfilled. That's point number two, knowing God. And point number three, finding safety. Point number three, finding safety. We saw the the first then that followed on with our ifs in verse 5. Well, we have another then in verse 9. Look at verses 9 to 11. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. You see that there is a safety to be found in this relationship with God. You aren't only brought into a relationship with God, but you are now brought into the kind of relationship that will teach you how to live and will ensure God's sovereign care and protection over all of your life. It is in finding wisdom and in knowing God that will lead ultimately to a life of true safety. Now, God doesn't promise to save us from every pain or hurt in this life, but He does promise to protect His children and to ensure that our faith is protected. And one day, when we are with Him forever in eternity, we will be safe forever without any tears, without any crying, without any pain anymore. All of that will be pushed aside, and we will have only joy with Him forever. But there is even in a fallen world, and even in a world with pain and suffering, there is safety to be found in a relationship with God. Do you see then that he considers two different kinds of people that a relationship with God will protect us from? We see in verse 12 to 15 that such a relationship with God will save us, deliver us from the path of evil men. Look there at verses 12 to 15. This knowledge of God, this relationship with God will, verse 12, deliver you from the way of evil and from men of perverted speech. Men who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. He's picking up a theme that he began in chapter 1, verses 8 and following, as he warned his son from being persuaded into joining gangs of evil young men who were bent on doing evil, who were bent on glorifying evil, who were bent on killing others, stealing others' possessions, becoming rich at the expense of others. And he warned them in chapter 1 from following after such men. Well, here he revisits the theme and he says, if you know God, if you enter into a relationship with God, if you treasure His words, if His words become pleasant to your soul, you will then be able to detect the words of evil men and you will not follow in the way with them. You will see their words as dangerous. You see there in verse 12, their perverted speech. The words of such evil men is compared with the knowledge of God that is pleasant to us, to those of us who know God. But not only are we delivered from the the peer pressure of evil men in verses 12 to 15, we are also delivered from the temptation and the seduction of evil women. Now notice here in verses 16 to 19, he raises a new theme, the theme of the temptation to sexual immorality. You see there is the temptation to cheat, uh, to, to cheat money, 
to stealing things that evil men will offer you. Well, here is the temptation to cheap sex, to finding love outside of the marriage covenant that God has designed. Now, the, the, um, the, the context here is the context of a father warning a son. And he's warning the son against prostitutes and adulterous women. If the context had been a father speaking to a daughter or a, or a mother speaking to a daughter, it would sound a little different. There would be a warning about evil men who would seek to tempt young women away from, from safety in the marriage relationship, the marriage covenant. But here is the temptation of the forbidden woman. Let's read 16 to 19 again. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Do you see words there again? Who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. See, the safety that is found in a relationship with God will protect you from evil men, but young men, it will also protect you from evil women who would seek to lead you into sexual immorality. Do you see here that the danger here isn't simply in getting into trouble or getting STDs? No, the danger here is eternal death. The danger that is in the temptation to sexual immorality is that such sin leads to eternal death. It leads you away from God and to His condemnation forever. The ones who pursue such sexual immorality are on a path to hell. Lastly, here in verses 20 to 22, we find safety not only in being protected from evil men and evil women, but we also find safety in verses 20 to 22 by being preserved on the right paths. Look at 20 to 22 again. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. We see here that there is assumed in the book of Proverbs the old Mosaic covenant. That there is an assumption here of God's covenant with His people where He had promised to them a land for them to live in. To be in a relationship with Him. A land and a king that would rule over them. And that they would be able to have safety if they obeyed Him and obeyed the covenant and followed His commands. And we see here the promise that those who listen to wisdom will be safe. They will be protected. They will be in God's presence with Him, enjoying His sovereignty over them. But as you consider these promises of safety, protection from sin, the promise of safety with God and in a relationship with Him, you know that this is often the thing that brings people to church. Do you know this protection from evil is the thing that often drives people to go to church. It's often the thing that drives parents to bring their kids to church. Let's have them learn some morals. Let's have them learn some things that would keep them safe and keep them from getting into trouble. But do you see that the protection here, the safety, it comes after a relationship with God, not before it. Do you know Christianity doesn't offer some morality to people who don't really want a relationship with God just want some good morals. It doesn't work that way. It's through a relationship with God that we are then protected and that we are then safe 
And that we then are able to distinguish between the safety of knowing God, living with Him, and can see the difference between the temptations of this world and realize that those temptations will not lead us anywhere good. The Scottish pastor Thomas Chalmers preached a a famous sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Expulsive is an old English word meaning to expel or to cast out. And he is in this sermon talking about 1 John chapter 2, 15, where it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And he, in this sermon, lays out very clearly that simply telling people to stop sinning will not work. You cannot change someone's heart by simply telling them sin is bad. Don't pursue it. What's actually needed is something new in the heart that takes over and a new affection that is greater than the affection for the, the other thing, or for us as Christians, that is greater than sin. So what he says is, the best way to overcome the world is not with morality or self-discipline. No, Christians overcome the world by seeing the beauty and excellency of Christ. Now he uses the illustration of a boy. A boy who is excited by some love as a a child. For me, it was baseball cards. I spent years of my life collecting baseball cards. I spent years of my life trading baseball cards. I would spend all of my days in the summer either playing baseball or wiffle ball or trading baseball cards or playing baseball on Nintendo. The Nintendo won baseball. It was so exciting. I loved baseball. But at some point in my life, I stopped getting excited about baseball cards. Was it because someone told me baseball cards are stupid? No, it was because I got excited about fishing. I got so excited about fishing that I stopped collecting baseball cards, and they all collected dust in the corner of my room. And I began fishing every day of the summer until I got excited about mountain biking. And then what happened to my fishing? Well, it went by the wayside. This is how it works in the human heart. You cannot, parents, you cannot tell your children, stop sinning because sin is going to lead you to death. Yes, that's true. But there must be a desire even greater than the sin that you must encourage in your children's hearts if they are ever to reject sin. They must see something as so much better, as so much more desirable and so much more beautiful than the sin or the offer of sin that this world has. They must see in a relationship with God something so much more beautiful, so much more delightful. And they must find in Christ, as Chalmers put it, something more attractive than this world has to offer. So let me encourage you, Christian. Are you struggling with sin? Are you struggling with temptation? Are you struggling with the things that are being laid out here in Proverbs chapter 2? The pure of evil men and women that would lead you into sin. Are you struggling, young men, with sexual temptation, with immorality, with pornography? It is true that those things lead to death. And it is true that those things will never ultimately satisfy you. But the one thing that is needed, more than simply understanding that your sin leads to death, is to find in Jesus Christ and to find in a relationship with God something so much better something so much more delightful that the offer of sin pales in comparison. That you realize that that sin 
will not make you happy, cannot make you happy, will only make you miserable in comparison with the joy that is to be found in a relationship with God. And then the joys that will flow in the relationship that you have, not only with God, but with God and with His people. That begins now. It begins now in the church, but will continue on forever, for all eternity, as that joy only grows and grows forever and ever. As we conclude, I want to turn your, your attention to one final passage. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. We've been seeing here that the writer of Proverbs sees wisdom as the most valuable thing. The, the thing of value that is worth pursuing, that is worth leaving everything else behind in order to find it. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2. Look at his language here. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I don't know what the treasures are for you that you're pursuing in this world. I don't know what the things in this world that to you are valuable. But do you see what God is saying here? There are treasures, valuable treasures, invaluable treasures. And they are hidden in Christ. They are to be found in Christ. And they will be found nowhere else. Let me encourage you, Christian. Pursue Christ and find in Him your greatest joy. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you will never find joy. You will never find satisfaction anywhere else but in Christ. Come to Him. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. And follow Him all your days. You will never regret it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You that You have revealed these things to us and not left us in the dark. Thank You that You have shown a light on the lies that this world tell us. That there is joy and value and significance to be found outside of You and outside of Christ. We pray that we would repent of such thinking and of, and of such value. And that each one here would let all of these things go and leave all of those things behind in order to find wisdom, in order to find a relationship with you in Christ. We pray that the joys that you offer for us in Christ, the joys that are available in a, a relationship with you and fellowship with you and a fellowship with you that's then shared with your people, would so ignite and fire our hearts, that it would change our priorities, that it would change the way that we spend our time and our money, and that we would find in this true wisdom a wisdom that is out of touch with what this world would call wisdom, that may seem crazy in the eyes of the world, but yet may be attractive 
to those that find this world so empty. We pray that we would be such a light to the watching world, that we would be calling others in to enjoy a relationship with you and with your people forever. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.